Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Good morning. It's wonderful to hear an enthusiastic good morning. Back when I was in seminary, which according to the girls in my house was at least 1,000 years ago, we had two homiletics priest professors who were given the dubious honor of teaching people like me how to produce and deliver a sermon. You needed to take classes from both professors in order to graduate because they were both so different from each other. Father George was American-born and was always very polished and very professional. Father George was cool and reserved and was the epitome of a calm, collected, and convincing preacher. Father Nick was born in Romania and grew up in the Toshescu era, a man who tried to transform Romania into what North Korea is today. Father Nick once told the story that when he was 12 years old, he was given the chance between secretly going to school to study for the priesthood or publicly going to the state school to study theater and drama. Father Nick's answer to this question was, why not both? So he openly went to the government school to become an actor while secretly attending a seminary. Father Nick was a contrast to Father George. Where Father George was cool and concise, Father Nick was extremely colorful, and you never knew what was going to come out of his mouth at any time, ever. But there was one thing both of these homiletics professors agreed upon. Each sermon should have a reference to recent events in it, preferably within the past week. Both professors urged us seminarians to be diligent and find such events, even though it might be hard, because the reasoning is that a big part of our Christian life is our response to events. We need to help our parishioners and ourselves find their way to Christ through the events and crises of this world and our lives. Well, their concerns that there might be weeks that were so quiet that a priest would not be able to find something newsworthy to talk about never anticipated this last week, huh? We start off the week with a prayer in Congress that is interesting. The media focused on the prayer ending with a men and a women. Who cares about that? Truly, who cares? That is meaningless babble. And it says a lot about our media when they focus on that ending and not discuss much the content of the prayer itself, which reflects very well something I preached about last month to y'all. Around the middle of the week, we had an insurrection in our nation's capital. Our two major political parties in this country both adopted the other party's position from six months ago, 
in their effort to push their share of the blame to the other group. Violence is not acceptable for either party. But instead of examining why people supporting either the political left or the political right are turning to violence to make political statements in modern America, instead of that important self-examination discussion instead is being made to stop inflammatory rhetoric, as it is being called now. Inflammatory rhetoric has been part of American politics since the Boston Tea Party. The issue is that the problems causing the violence are not being discussed and solved by those demanding that the government do something, if the government can do anything. And then Friday evening, WikiLeaks released every document they had. The files are partly revealing secrets, but also not revealing much of anything interesting. It shows that we were being given half the story for years by both the government and by WikiLeaks. The files show both parties had been telling half the story. Whichever half each party felt would better themselves in the public eye and shows that neither group can be completely trusted. All three of these events leave any one of us disillusioned, confused, not sure who to believe or what to do. But the church has an answer, and that takes me to, to, to two of today's scripture lessons, because these two lessons fit together like two gears even though they were written 700 years apart from each other. The first lesson is from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah describes his own time as, In the days of Uzziah, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, so between 745 to 680 B.C. Our reading today is from chapter 42. God is speaking and in fact has been speaking for at least the prior two chapters, beginning in chapter 40. Now, throughout the Old Testament, we are given hints of the nature of God. Genesis starts this with God saying, Let us make man in our image. Why is God using a plural to describe himself? He is using us, and our. Other hints are found, such as when Abraham and Sarah are entertaining three angels. Yet Abraham calls the three angels Lord, and the angels do not correct him. Other instances are less well known and are interspersed throughout the Old Testament. Today is one of those hints. God is speaking. Here is my servant, God starts, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. God the Father is speaking and referring to his chosen, his son, and he is also referring to his spirit as the one being placed upon his son. 
The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are discussed here. We are given a hint of them, but the revelation of the Trinity will come 700 years later. Mark writes of Jesus' baptism. And as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. What Isaiah saw in a mirror darkly is brought clearly to our own vision in the fullness of time. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in essence, yet three persons, if you will, that have been eternal since before the beginning, are perfect now, and will remain in eternity. The kingdom of Judah fell, but God remained. Babylon fell, and God was constant. Persia fell, and God stayed with his people. Greece and then Rome came to rule what was Judah, and God was unchanged. The Ottomans and later the British and the French came to rule the Middle East, and God remains eternal. And America? Well, we don't know about America now, do we? It seems like our country is balanced on the edge of a sharp knife, and we don't know what will happen next. The tension in our country is very thick, and the future is unknown. But the one thing that is certain is that God's love for each and every one of us remains pure and untouched by time or our worldly concerns. Certainly, we should pray for our leaders and our country, as well as those we think of, or maybe they have declared themselves to be our enemies, as well as praying for people who have not yet met us. Certainly, we should never lose hope or give in to despair. As Christians, we always have hope. We always know we have a future. People may try to convince us that if we do not follow them or do what they say we need to do, then we are doomed. Do not listen to those people. The only way we are doomed is if we turn our backs to Christ. In the coming days, I urge you to stay true to the Lord and remember what you have been taught and have experienced especially the parts about forgiving others, if you want to be forgiven yourself. And then, if we stay true to our Christian witness in the world, then we can show others the only truth that matters, not this political infighting that makes divisions between people, but the beauty of people carrying their cross and being in relationship with each other and with the eternal, unchanging God. Amen.